So Vinita, you are in a book with uh, other IIT Madras <laughs> graduates, yeah. which you are. Um, you're an IIT Madras, and I'm Ahmedabad graduate yeah. uh, of entrepreneurs, and you were the only woman in that list. Tell us about the question that you got. <laughs> Okay, so uh, there was a bunch of uh, you know students who were writing that book, and um, it's called IITM Nexus, and there were sixteen IIT Madras entrepreneur stories, and uh, one of them is uh, you know the story of sugar, and when the the first question in that conversation um, from the student who was writing this book was that uh, isn't it like cliched that you know there's just one woman from IIT Madras uh, in this list. and uh, of all the businesses she's running a cosmetics business so and uh, i remember at that moment you know it was for me like an entire flashback of like you know the my iit journey and beyond uh, where i would always work the hardest and you know be always like um, fight the hardest and um, every single time i would accomplish something there would be a attribution that this is either like diversity quota um or it is um you know um uh, she got it because she's a woman and um you know for me like this question sort of summed up this whole thing that uh, no matter how hard you fight and you know there'll always be somebody who'll you know come to you and question everything you've accomplished with a sweeping statement like that and uh, make it your job to keep proving your worth and that was the moment where you know of course when i responded to him i told him that uh, like really trying to prove my worth and trying to explain to you why i'm doing this business uh, is something i don't want to get into because i love building what i'm building i love my job and i wouldn't do anything in this world and uh, just because it's a cliche to you um, you know i don't want it to discredit from all the work that i've put in so far and there are a ton of iit madras women who are running agri tech businesses and saas companies and uh, you know it so it's not my job to uh, like prove that women can be equally good at engineering talent or business building tech businesses because uh, you know those women will emerge as well i am having fun doing what i'm doing and i am not going to take this as my uh, as a mantle to really prove a point over here and i'm really you're not done with trying to prove because i think um no matter how hard you work you just have yourself to uh, prove to and if you try to prove anything to others then it'll be just an endless losing battle and i was just really also tired of that battle and i you know at that moment i decided that you know i'm not going to fight this um um all of these questions that i always get on my capability and my abilities etc because i get boxed as a female founder or i get boxed as a woman engineer you know and all of those other things start coming in yeah hi i'm sneha co-host of our other podcast cost to company today in first principles we have vinita singh co-founder and ceo of sugar cosmetics which features among the fastest growing cosmetic brands in India and also among the biggest we'll hear from vinita about why she built sugar what it takes to champion women founders and employees and how to put your money where your mouth is it's been a long standing listener request to publish transcripts for these conversations so we've gone ahead and made one for this episode a link is in the show notes 
and we're able to make these episodes and a lot more thanks to people like you people who tune in so if you really like the work we do please make sure you follow us on apple podcast spotify wherever else you get your podcasts and if you are on spotify also make sure you hit the little bell icon so you get a notification every time we put out a new episode that's all from me now onward to the show it's it's it must be tough because on one hand uh, women are told that look there aren't enough women and like it's so hard and and you face the pressure to essentially like you know break in or once you break in it's like oh you're so few of you or you got in because you were a woman so it's it looks like damned if you do yeah. damned if it, you don't yeah right? it's it's like for instance you know the term diversity it's you know women who've succeeded in any way typically tend to not like it because it makes it feel that all of their accomplishments are because of that uh but it is also something that you know as women we need to keep doing like i want to invest in more women founded companies i want to uh promote help women in sugar succeed because i know that role models matter and you can only be what you see so there is always this you know uh, conflict and i realize that trying to say that uh, you know diversity would uh, you know any uh, diversity attempts are pulling down the cause of women is an incorrect and a very narrow minded uh, point of view because there you're just trying to prove that you are capable and i've decided that like if you really uh, want to paid forward and which i need to because i've really been lucky in my own journey and a lot of people have helped me out uh then you know we should just forget about thinking about these all of these initiatives as uh diversity and just look at these initiatives as um you know things that we need to do to provide a level playing field because women are starting with a handicap i mean there is a handicap around um you know the fact that women end up doing six times more work domestic chores than uh, their husbands at home um, there is a social conditioning where we are trained to uh, you know say pretend that we're not as ambitious uh, there are a lot of factors that have held us held us back and uh, so you know just getting more women uh, in workforce getting more women you know helping them grow in their careers whether it's in entrepreneurship or anything else um, is something that i feel very strongly about and i feel that that's far more important uh than uh you know when that happens you know what they will say and uh, you know there is no end to what they will say because at the end of the day you can never please everybody so if there's one thing i want to you know for myself to leave as legacy is that you know she helped thousands of women um get to a better place and and that's what i care uh, most about and i think if a lot of us come together and do that uh, then the statistics will change i mean in the last 2 uh, years uh, the participation of women in workforce has gone down from some 25 26% to under 20% and um, all of this just keeps getting worse unless people take conscious effort at home and in their workplaces and it's something that i feel strongly about 
which is why i've realized that you know you have to ignore all the other noise around it which tries to bring down all the efforts that people are putting in the direction of getting more women to participate in workforce or be more entrepreneurial or you know women funded comp- women run companies to get invested more and so on all right thank you on that note do you want to tell us what sugar does yeah yeah so sugar is a beauty brand for young women and um, we you know make really long lasting inclusive makeup products for indian women and someday we want to be a global beauty brand so you said it's for young young indian women yeah. and you said it's inclusive and it's long lasting yeah uh i'm not an expert on cosmetics fair disclaimer what does long lasting mean in this context so long lasting means that uh, you know uh so makeup has a very emotional relationship for women it's one of those things that is a confidence booster you just do it i mean women do a lot of things for other people makeup is one of the few things they do for themselves they really don't care as much about you know others opinion on that and uh, it's about self expression right so uh when you have that um you know and you have your makeup doesn't last you your full day you go out in the morning 9 o'clock and if at like you know when you come back home at 9 o'clock you are worried through the day whether your lipstick has come off your eyeliner is smudged etc it comes in the way of uh, you know that whole uh, happiness and confidence uh, level so we feel that making makeup long lasting uh, can help women feel unstoppable throughout the day and uh, because makeup has this emotional connection for women um and you know we feel that uh, women deserve products that last them the full day and most the problem here which we spotted was that most international brands uh, which were available in india they were built for uh, western markets for caucasian skin indian skin and indian weather are very different uh, which means that you know we generally have larger pores more oily skin and tropical weather conditions pollution so our makeup just melts within 2 3 hours of applying uh, in india and uh, you know you don't have to build products for sweat proof conditions outside of india so brands weren't putting in the effort uh, to solve this globally and uh, we realized that we needed a brand coming out of india that gets indian women and um especially because we're a market still at about 1/8 uh, per capita consumption of makeup compared to even a southeast asia and um, as women were getting to wear more and more makeup um, you know they they saw it as something that they were afraid of and uh, which is you know just the fact that the product wouldn't last them all day uh would make it worse for them because they felt conscious about it so we said okay let's not have them feel conscious let's make product that really last them long and uh, we realized that it really echoed and that's how like our first we created india's first uh, transfer proof liquid lipstick where you could just drink eat anything and it would just not come off it was just like there as a tattoo almost from morning to night till you remove it with the makeup remover and it really took off and we realized that uh, young women care a lot more about that because they were stepping out they were going to college they were going to work and it wasn't something that older women who were um, you know a using less product b they weren't working women um, you know most of them uh, so they couldn't identify as much as with the problem but younger women felt very strongly about it um, and we were actually uh, kashik and i were actually running a f- subscription business it was a beauty subscription uh, company called fab bag 
Uh, that was your second startup. Yes. We'll come to that later. Okay. 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 Yeah. So, so from there, and you know, Kaushik is Kaushik your co-founder is my and co-founder CEO. and CEO, and he's also my husband. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So from there, we discovered this huge pain point for young women, and we decided that somebody has to solve it. Uh, we didn't know how big that could be because you know you. I, I mean, we didn't get into it thinking about. Damn, etc. All those uh, questions. That's a total addressable market. Yeah, total addressable <laughs> market. We just As launched it. because we were like, okay, these women feel very strongly about it. We don't know how big this is going to be, but if we solve this for them, uh, we can become their favorite brand. Now, luckily, sixty-five percent of like the demographics under the age of thirty-five in India is a young market. So now we start thinking about the fact that okay, can sugar become India's number one beauty brand? And uh, you know those aspirations we never really had when we started out because we were just trying to solve it for a very small set of women. But you know that demographic exploded, and uh, you know the consumption of makeup exploded, and that's how sugar really got into got around to you know having these big ambitions. But some of the best businesses in the world most of the best businesses in the world usually start out by solving a very narrow problem Absolutely. rather than having like a great total addressable market on an excel and then working their way around numbers and stuff like that so on that on that count uh, what you started is obviously the way to kind of go about it why is it called sugar how did it come out <laughs> to being called sugar so um actually you know it wasn't going to be called sugar very <laughs> honestly sugar wasn't like kaushik and my favorite name uh we wanted to have a name which young women loved and you know it would feel like a name that uh, had an emotional connection for what them what was the process that you followed i'm yeah. really curious <laughs> so uh you, first our you know when we first started uh, fab bag we hadn't really followed a process we just liked the name we kept the name and we got some feedback that it's a terrible name because you know f a b b a g double b the link you know it's complicated blah blah uh and uh, so then second time uh, we decided to call our uh, brand kickass cosmetics because we thought that that stands for young rebellious women and that's what this is all about makeup's about rebellion uh, and self expression and uh, so we discussed this with our board at that time um, the only people on our board were india koshan anand and madhukar and we told them that you know this is our plan and uh, so they said that um yeah interesting choice of name uh, sorry why- so Yeah. Just to contextualize this, you're running a subscription-based bag company, and yeah. you go to your board and say, "We want to pivot, yeah. and now sell cosmetics yeah. called Kickass Cosmetics." Yes, <laughs> I would, I would be surprised. As well. yeah, so we were running a subscription-based beauty company. So there Got were it. in the fab bag there were these beauty products. Got it. And um, you know that was going nowhere. So we were at about seventeen thousand monthly subscribers. Annual revenue was at about seven eight crores. Uh, it was you know. the aspiration was always like okay we're going to someday have a million subscribers like these us subscription companies had and which we realized that it's not happening so we were at this like you know phase where our investors had almost written us off right so they were like this this is not going to give us any return uh, but uh, they realized that these guys don't want to shut it down they're still trying to fight and we had like the last 30 lakhs left in the bank account and one of the things that we'd learned in the process of those 2 3 years was that there is going to be an opportunity Uh, around brands coming out of india for indians and uh, makeup is one of those categories which is going to be the easiest because uh, social media is going to make it super easy for makeup to get discovered and young women have this problem now this is which year was this this was 2014 okay. and there was no concept then called d2c and you know if you spoke to consumers 
they would tell you that they would only pay a premium for international brands. And there was a huge deal around European and American brands. And at that time, it's hard to remember those days. But at that time, there was literally no pride in, you know, something coming out of India, brand coming out of India or made in India. It was considered to be cheap if it was coming from India or China. And um, so at that time, uh, but, you know, it was so clear that the international brands just didn't get it. They didn't get it. And, you know, it was, but it sounded very crazy because there was the L'Oreal's and there were the Unilever's and the PNG's. Everybody was in this category. You had no experience there. And we had no experience. But it was, we just knew that this young um, women cohort is gonna, is changing. And the, we saw the behavior change. We realized that they are, you know, buying primers and they're, you know, doing like makeup every day to work. And they're going from just being a kajal bum consumer to having four or five products. On average, we spoke to 45 year old women, 25 year old women, they had two to three times more products. So it, there is going to be a shift. There was no data. There was no TAM, nothing to back our belief. Uh, but we knew that there's going to be a shift. So we pitched to our board saying that, you know, you can't invest further because obviously they can't put good money after bad. Um, and for them, it was almost a write-off. But, um, you know, we said that we want to build, a, a, you know, send out these products. And we have this subscription base uh, of these about 17,000 odd women. So we'll start with them. If they do well, then we'll see if we want to sell it on our own website, etc. So they said, OK, I mean, it's your last few lakhs left. Do whatever you want with it. And they were actually very supportive. You know, they said that traditionally... To build a brand, you would need at least 50 crores. That was the number. And, you know, this discussion, we had in multiple board meetings. 50 crore is the number you need uh, to build a brand uh, at least. But we don't have that. But, you know, we're like literally like at the edge of the cliff. So we don't have any other option. So might as well try something. And uh, so then and we said that, OK, we've decided we're going to call it Kickass. Uh, and we're going to launch with just um, one kajal, one eyeliner. And uh, uh, so, and we'll send it in our uh, own fab bags. And they said that, um, yeah, the name is, you know, A, you have this love for, you know, that, uh, for, uh, from the consumers for fab bag. You're not using that. So why don't you think about a name that uses that? So that's what, that got us thinking. So we came up with this name called Fabulicious. And then we had um, this uh, uh, kick-ass. And then we said, like, you know, when you go to a consumer and ask her, you like it or not, she'll always say, yeah, I like it. But if you give her a reference point, so sugar really emerged as a reference point. Like, let's give her like two, three options to choose from. And then we ended up with five. So there was sugar, there was kick-ass, there was fabulous, there was stoked, uh, which also Koshik and I really liked. And then there was pepper. And these five options, we created like this Instagram visual and, you know, just asked women to tell us what they thought about it. And they saw stoked and they was like, it sounds like inventory stock. And then they said, you know, they hated Kickass. It was like the worst ranked. And everybody just loved sugar. It was like this emotional meaning. I mean, later on, of course, we started joking about it. That gives your sugar rush without the calories. That's what makeup does for women. But um, at that time, it was for us, uh, you know, just one of those options. But like so many women uh, came back and said that they just loved the name. It felt like they'd heard it before. It felt like it's an international brand. And um, and so that that's how the name happened. Fascinating. I'm going to ask you a set of quick rapid fire questions about the company just to get a sense of where you've reached today. I suck at rapid fire. <laughs> <laughs> I'll slow down. Uh, how old is the company? Company is actually 10 years old. Um, oh, congratulations. Sugar is seven. All right. 
How many employees do you have? So, 600 employees and another 3,000 off-roll employees, uh, which is in our stores and our warehouse. All right. Yeah. What's your revenue? We are at an ARR of 500 crores. Don't ask me to convert to a million. No. Nah. <laughs> USD million, but yeah. So that's an annualized run rate of? 500 crores. 500 crores, yeah. all right. How fast are you growing? Uh, this year, we are growing about 100%. Uh, last year was about 80%. Um, right. Yeah. What's your most recent valuation? It's undisclosed. All right. <laughs> but it's there all over. Like, How much internet. venture capital have you raised till date? Uh, about, um, about 90 million. Other than Kaushik, do you have any other co-founders? No, just both of us started. Do you have kids? Yes, we have two kids, um, Ranbir and Vikrant. They are four and a half and seven and a half, two boys. All right, thank you. Awesome, I passed the definition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. How did you end up as an entrepreneur? Tell us about your family history. Okay, so uh, my dad's a biophysicist. <laughs> so, and my mom was a scientist at ICMR. So they're both like PhD, you know, like what Rachel would call the PhD who can't save your life on a plane, but <laughs> the medical researchers. And I grew up in the AIMS campus and uh, I, I grew up with the AIM to exactly do anything but be my dad. <laughs> because I was like, you know, all these doctors, they work so hard and I wanted something quick. Like I wanted to like, you know, quick success. And um, and so I decided I against my parents' wishes, I decided I'm going to become an engineer first because, you know, options were just engineer, doctor. And um, in my, while I was uh, actually um, on my first trip to IIT, I was uh, on a plane, um, you know, reading my best friend's letter and crying, uh, you know, because my first time out of Delhi. And um, I, you know, heard somebody say that I teach at IIT Madras uh, in the row behind. And I was like, oh my God, somebody who was at IIT Madras, I swapped places with somebody, went and sat next to him. Turned out he was the head of the electrical engineering department then, uh, which is where I was going. And it was supposed to be like a very uh, scary department because, you know, like it was very hard to even get like a average seven point uh, score. Um, and, uh, but I sat next to him and then of course, uh, to start with, he started asking me like these really tough engineering questions, which I flunked, uh, like, um, you know, how does the tube light work and difference between, uh, um, analog and digital and stuff Why? like that. <laughs> Gen- you already got in. Like, you know, no, he was, you know, it's you, know how a classroom. It's, yeah. you know how professors are, right? They feel so strongly about it that they just, you know, love sort of pushing you to see what's in there. Uh, but anyway, so then he asked me, what do you want to be when you, you know, after this, what do you want to do? So I told him at that time that I, you know, chose engineering by elimination. Can so I, I just say, he sounds like he got no chill. <laughs> no, no, <he's laughs> I'm sure he's a great professor. <laughs> but I mean, come on, you were just <laughs> getting into college, you're excited. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've flown from Delhi to Chennai, but it's a two hour, 45 minutes yes, uh, flight. Yes. So I, I think we went over a lot of stuff and this was a few of them. But yeah, I, I but um, so he asked me this question and uh, I said, oh, I want to be, um, what do you really want? I said, um, I guess he like, what will make you happy. I said, maybe being rich. And I remember at that time, he's like, I've met enough rich people. They're not the happiest. Uh, consider maybe if you don't want to do uh, engineering, consider maybe entrepreneurship. Um, so I, I, you know, for the first time heard that word. Um, and then I sort of 
like went to campus and then I realized very soon quickly that in electrical engineering I'm just gonna barely make the cut and I ended up with a 7.4 7.5 CGPA which was like really average but um, I started reading a lot about entrepreneurs and I started like devouring all these books biographies of every single from Howard Schultz Richard Branson uh, Steve Jobs and all of these books and then it sort of in my head became like this you know my parachute to get out of engineering um you know that this is where I can find something that I might be good at because this I'm not good at so very honestly it wasn't a really um you know a decision which was out of that okay this is what I really want to do but it was more out of this is not working and this could be something interesting for me to try so did you decide to do your MBA right after and yes so then I thought that okay then I did a lot of research and like you know where can you learn about entrepreneurship and I figured I'm Ahmedabad has this course called LEM leadership and entrepreneurship management so I decided that I'll go to I'm Ahmedabad um, and then I went there um, and then you know there was a professor there who helped out so basically yeah I mean I just then decided for myself that I'm I didn't know what it takes and uh, I you know was uh, uh, had a lot of self doubt at that time but i managed to get three co-founders on campus uh, and i really looked up to them so i thought that if they are also doing it sorry co-founders for your for my first company yeah which so there was were four of us yeah it was this company called ketzal it's q u e t z a l um we actually tried i i must tell you you improve with your naming <laughs> 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 By sugar, you named it. I think. Yeah. yeah, it had a very deep meaning. Ketzal is a bird which apparently stood for freedom and uh, wealth, or something right. like that. What did it do? Uh, so we actually st- started with a um, education ed tech at that time thing, where we would like have a, a web. We had a website called Ten a Day, where every mo- a day you could have ten questions to help you prepare for CAT, and you had to solve them online. And the idea was to expand it to every single competitive exam and get try to get people to solve do assessment online and benchmark themselves then in 2007 obviously it was going to be dead uh, and uh, then we uh, pivoted that to background verification so i ended up finally running for 5 employee years an uh, employee background verification company where we would try using some tech to make the process more efficient but we realized that companies weren't ready to pay a premium for it so it was became a commoditized business and it didn't scale and it was like this services business where you had to do like a lot of business development to get every single contract and i hated it like to the core mm. and i always wanted to do a consumer business um how long were you at this first five years and it was it was the toughest five years of my life and um, and you know so during campus i proposed to my other three co-founders that let's start a women's lingerie brand called caress and i always wanted to do something for women consumers and it was like this passion thing uh, but um, you know, so while we were on campus we tried pitching to a few vcs 10 15 of them and they said that it's impossible to try to build a brand uh, without funding and you guys don't have any experience in textiles so i don't think you'll get funded uh, so that so before we graduated we killed that idea and then so then the day i got out of this company i was like okay i am going to build a consumer business for women and that's how fab bag happened because uh, at you know at that time it was impossible to think that we could come up with a brand but we thought that if it's a subscription business we might you know firstly uh, be able to do something that's different from what everybody else is doing uh, because uh, everything else seemed like commoditized and secondly we might be able to raise some money <laughs> that's how fab bag came yeah. and then fab bag of course ended up as sugar yeah long journey <laughs> 
No, but uh, it's it's very interesting, right? And they're all very different businesses. Yeah. What did you learn along the way through these Quetzel, yeah, Fab Bag, and Sugar? Yeah. About what kind of businesses work in India? Very interesting. So, I think simple businesses work to start with. Um, I think everything you know, as somebody who was. MBA and uh, you know had like uh, uh, thought that she was probably um, uh, you know coming from a more like pedigreed background. Uh, there was this pressure to do something really different, and I felt that you know that ended up in creating these business models that was just too complicated. Ahead, essentially the top-down. tam driven business models right it wasn't like, really tam driven at all you know so honestly no the pressure the, to create yeah, like you know this fancy yeah, excel fancy, loaded fancy is the correct word tam honestly uh, is a word that i didn't know till like 7 years back when people said we can't invest in sugar because there's no tam but till then i didn't know this term tam uh, and i never optimized for it luckily thankfully but um the fancy was a very important word it was like it should be something different it shouldn't be like if somebody's running a large retail business retail anybody can do but you have to do something that's different so you will create like a subscription model that has an algorithm backing it that can really read your mind and give you products curated for you without you understanding so it'll eventually obviously we never got around that so stage but ai ml and not easy to be absolutely uh, unique yeah and in that attempt to make something differentiated we made something so complex and in india the simplest stuff works and really simple things and just like explaining the idea of subscription to consumers was like i mean you run a subscription business so you know how hard it is and we used to take an annual subscription in advance because at that time there was no option to do recurring payment right so one would argue that even today there is in <laughs> post the rbi's decisions yeah, on killing yeah i don't know how it's happening now but yeah so and at that time there was no way back in 2012 right so we used to you know take it in advance and if you had to collect it in advance then you had to give them like 50% off on a monthly because you know you are taking money in advance and indians hate committing to stuff uh they hate choice being taken away from them uh and of course they That's ready. why we are 99% what 98 99% prepaid for you as well yeah absolutely yeah, right? yeah. like because we don't want to kind of get a huge bill at the end of the month and then like you know I'll control bit by bit like absolutely where I'm spending yeah mm. so so uh, and yeah so which is also like risk averse or um, and um so of course very value driven so it's not about it, i i don't think they're where uh, indians are cheap like you know one the cheapest but they want like you know the best in the world for whatever they pay uh, and uh, so all of these things um, and and i you know the most important thing i learned was that you can really create something amazing if your heart and soul is in it you're really passionate about it because it's not going to be quick and that's a lesson that i learned the very hard way and if it's not going to be quick then you got to be on the journey for a long time and if you have to be on the journey for a long time might as well be interesting you better love it you better love it so if you are not loving every single day of what you're building and it's something which you are naturally not good at or it's something that you don't enjoy doing uh then you it's very hard um as an entrepreneur uh because it's it's you know i i feel that like those 1% who make it like unicorn two years unicorn one year uh is what everybody wants to do but that's really the 1% uh, most of us like me 
end up taking 10 years 15 years to build something of substance Which but it is possible isn't that long a time frame in the context of a company's age yeah. i just think we're living in a time and age where we feel that 10 years or 15 years is a long time yeah. great brands and companies are made over decades yeah. right like we just seem to think that it's possible to do that in 3 yeah. years or 4 years what's something that you're very proud of that happened this week Last week I can tell you. All right, uh, last okay. week. <laughs> last week, uh, Sugar actually hit 2.4 million followers on Instagram. Uh, that makes it the largest consumer brand in India. Congratulations! Oh. And of course, we're still the fastest growing. It's something that we track. And uh, you know, like about four years back, we made that decision. We're going to own Instagram and YouTube uh, because for cosmetics as a category, uh, education's going to be core uh, to brand building over the next ten years. and education had moved from offline to online digital so instagram and youtube we had decided that we would dominate uh, because education and visual storytelling that's all you need for a, a brand uh, to get established in the minds of the consumer if it's talking about women and uh, makeup and um, so we started at about 100000 followers about 3 3 and a half years back and we went through that whole journey you know first 100000 take like 4 years then next 100000 take like 2 years and then whatever and the last 100000 we actually got in like less than a month so um i think i'm i'm very proud because uh, the team worked very patiently for it you know to for in a startup to have like a 4 year long dream it's a lot because everything is like a week a month targets are all quarterly monthly annual so like having a four year dream um is a big deal uh, but there was somebody in our team who took on the goal of saying we're going to be number one someday and then we continued to patiently build 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 and get here so i'm very proud of that i'm going to sound very old fashioned uh and that's why i want to ask you about instagram why is this so important for you as a brand i understand i don't have an instagram account and i never had one <laughs> Uh, I got disclosure. one three years back as well. <laughs> <laughs> But why is this so important? Like, My understanding... like Twitter for the Ken, Instagram is for sugar. <laughs> well, I'm, like, I'm not like that. <laughs> I, I get the analogy. Okay. But my question is more in terms of we keep reading that organic reach through any Facebook platform over a period of time it's tends efficient. to come down, down, yeah. down. So the more followers you have, what does it help you do? Does it help you still? get more education out does it help you to kind of target them better with your ads help us understand yeah. why that's yeah. uh, 2.5 million on instagram is so important for you yeah so it does um, it does get harder both to grow your followership and to you know go beyond like 4 or 5% seeing every single post and every single reel so which is why that's not the followers is not the only metric it's also about engagement so you know our engagement for instance is that par with an international brands uh, you know which have some 15 20 million followers uh, it's at par with that because uh, we're doing all of this without so the the goal that the team has is that you do all of this but don't spend on acquiring followers you only spend on your content so you it's like you create world class products then you don't have to spend so much on marketing because the products go viral women recommend it to one another and the it grows similarly you spend on content that really works for this consumer and then don't spend on reach or to getting the content to a lot of people but the content on its own merit 
um, gets shared so much. There are, you know, so we track the number of saves, we track engagement on every single post and all our metrics are tracked based on that. So the idea is that if you're building, um, trying to build a community inorganically, then it's you're going to end up with um, a lot of irrelevant uh, followers and you keep battling against the Facebook algorithms, which are always going to be smarter. But if you genuinely, you know, just keep building your entire system. So we have this thing called Sugar Media Labs. That's a team that's only working on building content that engages. So they, of course, have followers, but they also have around how many people saved it, how many people shared it. Uh, of course, views um, and likes, uh, but mostly around saves and shares. And uh, every day they are trying to create content that's, you know, going to make it like much easier for women um, to understand how to like accept their own, you know, face skin and, you know, use makeup to make them feel um, uh, more unstoppable, as we call it. So I, I feel that when you do that, then you'll actually end up creating a community that matters. And um, then you can really use the power. And of course, along with that, you tell your story of your brand, uh, which is something that like no other brand has. So I feel that this gives us an edge. We're able to reach about 40 million women on Instagram, unique women every month. Now, that's the kind of reach that you get on television. Now, that's only possible because the content is working. The moment you start paying to turbocharge some of these and, you know, um, it's it's not going to work. You're not going to get up, end up getting, uh, you know, unique reach. Uh, so we feel that in the long run, uh, like if Sugar is the brand that's genuinely teaching them something that helps them in the long run, uh, we will end up being the go-to brand for them. And of course, that content will end up reaching, you know, millions of women organically as well. Uh, this is... Re Followership is just the easiest metrics that you can talk about company-wide and it brings everybody together because you become number one, etc. So it's more of a target-setting thing right. than the only thing that matters. Uh, but yes, I agree with you. It is, I mean, you know, social media is something that you never know, like whether Instagram will be the next big, big thing and we're already figuring out Snapchat. You know, there was a time where we started figuring out TikTok and then it got banned. Uh, so the idea is not really to... Of course, this community is an asset, but I think more than that, the, our ability to create content quickly, move with the platforms changes and adapt quickly so that we can beat those. I think that like the team is more of more of an asset than the community itself. That's my opinion. All right. Give us a sense of those spread of products from your first two products when yeah. Sugar launched yeah. to today. What's the range or the number of products that Sugar has today? So we have about um, 500 products, actually, uh, because makeup is old. I mean, if you're trying to build an inclusive brand, uh, then you will have to have 22 shades in a foundation stick so that, you know, people who are like, like we have 10 shades of foundation, which are my skin tone or deeper. And, you know, those are like use cases which no brand was solving for. And it was our way to get our foot in the door. Uh, so we do have about 500 SKUs, but... Uh, that's because we have a very large D2C business, which is, you know, where you are okay with the long tail. Uh, in the that's, core, that's... You the, sell uh, directly yeah, through your app, own site? Yeah, yeah. Okay. our app, uh, the Sugar app. Sorry, I, I must interrupt you here. If you could just give give us a sense also of you sell through your own app yeah. and site. Yeah. 
you sell through third party platforms yes. you sell through your own stores yes. you sell through third so what does the pie chart roughly look like for where your yeah. product sales yeah. come from yeah 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 I, i'll come to that sure. but in that part of the business so the the partner channels and the retail part of the business we would have at any point of time about 200 odd products so the mm. i mean it, the idea is that you keep experimenting and launching these on your d2c and then whatever really scales gains velocity that goes, uh, into, goes retail. into retail and because it's obviously harder to build a business of 500 sqs across channels so yeah we have um uh, about uh, actually now 50% of our business comes from retail uh, this includes about um, uh, out of this about uh, 50% comes from general trade now when you talk about general trade it's those traditional just to stores. clarify by retail you mean physical retail physical retail yeah um so general trade is your traditional stores um and then the other 50% comes from uh, modern trade and our own stores so modern trade is lifestyle shopper stop health and low etc uh, so that's about 25% and 25% comes from our own stores um we've you know recently started ramping that up as well because we realized that you know own store sugar app there's like this big opportunity to sort of own the consumer across uh, different channels and give a much better experience and then of course get a much higher ltv um and then of course the other half of our business is d2c and marketplaces uh so that's how we uh, have this split. all right it's fairly equally split and that's you know sort of helped us survive covid that's a guess, great yeah. thing right because <laughs> this is where diversity of revenue helps right you yeah. are not over dependent on any one Yeah and we realized very early on so we started of course as D2C there was no term called D2C back in 2015 but the idea was that e-commerce makes it easier for hero products to get discovered and then social media of course uh, you know makeup is easy because you can you know people talk about the color that they're wearing on their lips and then you know it goes viral um and we started with we thought that e-commerce is going to be the core business but within like the first 2 3 years we realized that to this the e-commerce game was more and more becoming like a discount led game and we somehow believed that you know if you're trying to build a brand for decades then it's important that you know it's brands are about trust and consistency and consistency in pricing is important as well so you know to for to have the consumer you know like come in and try to get something at 20% 30% then 40% there's no end to that and like we were feeling that pressure from all the marketplaces to discount further which we were resisting um and you know discounting is such a big lever uh for e-commerce that we realized that if you're trying to build this brand for the next 2 3 decades uh then it's important to fight that battle and ensure there's consistency in pricing as well and which is when we first experimented with retail and then we realized that you know if you try to you know be available um wherever the con- consumer finds it convenient uh then you can really bypass that whole pressure uh for discounting and at the end of the day today also 9 out of 10 consumers discover us digitally so they will discover us on social media or um on an influencer's page but half of them are now shopping us offline um and that percentage will keep you know increasing because there is humongous opportunity to you know expand our distribution there which we haven't yet tapped into all right one one part of the pressure you talked about is discounting but as a lay person also not admittedly a woman who has deeper knowledge of this it looks like commoditization also yeah. is another risk yeah because you see this explosion of brands, brands like you know both yeah, foreign uh, and indian yeah. 
all over like yeah. you know channels whether offline or how do you what's what's yeah. the way in your view yeah. what's the way is there a way out of commoditization yeah. discounting i think is just yeah. another like you know uh, connection yeah. to commoditization itself yeah. How, yeah. what's your view on that yeah so uh, there is i mean you know there's a joke that i have that you know if you go to like amazon and you search for vitamin c serum there are literally 4000 search results now and if you even if you go to the like the 40th page and i've done that exercise it's like somebody has put a neatly packed apothecary bottle with a label etc so it's not like you know random there are serious players 4000 right so like and that's all happened because in the last 3 years there was like just insane um uh, you know that like there there are these categories that suddenly get like a lot of hype and d2c became one of those categories and um, so it suddenly become very very easy uh, to just start a brand and but you know when it becomes really easy to start a brand in the thousands uh, it becomes even harder to build one uh, luckily you know so for us when we started seeing that happening uh, we realized that you know you have to go back to the, the fundamentals and stick with what you believe in because there's just so much noise you start on this journey uh, where there was literally you know traditional fmcg players and you came up with a creative way to bypass that because you had e-commerce and social media and now suddenly everybody was jumping into e-commerce and social media and it's becoming crowded uh, so when that happens what do you do you stick to the fundamentals which is a um, stay focused on your consumer um, and be you know like the absolutely the best for them stay focused on your products and then of course the content community education so we're just staying focused on that luckily the kind of products that we make uh, like even today i mean like say skin care makeup is a category which requires uh, for most products it requires a massive investment in r&d and in manufacturing uh, so a lot of our products like for instance you know we have this foundation sticks we have these uh, very specific kind of pencils uh it's not easy to replicate so there is you know it's always makeup as a category um while it's not a very it's not as large a market as skincare it's always going to be a market uh which is uh, you know where getting the product right is much harder so we've invested early on in creating great product uh we're we've realized that you know in a commoditized situation the brand still wins and so for every decision we think about is it you know does it make sense for the brand in the long term and uh, we um i mean at the end of the day india is moving like in out of the 10000 crore makeup market it's about 40 45% unbranded but as a percentage that's coming down and everybody else is moving towards brands and when it comes to brands um i feel that you know it does it's not easy to build it overnight it does take like a decade of trust and if you keep delivering on that promise over and over again in the long run you'll win so i feel that right now is just a phase and luckily we're seeing some of that die down a bit because the funding has gone down uh, and at the end of the day makeup is something people put on their face so this still like as women get more and more aware as they get more and more educated they think 20 times about trusting something which is you know uh, it's like available for cheap and they think about what's going to go into their face whether it's dermatologically tested and that's where the brand play comes in so i feel that as long as uh, you can keep innovating and you obsess with your consumer um you have a good story to tell you keep educating uh you will keep growing and then whatever else competition is doing it's something that 
uh, you know, happens in phases. Every now and then there's something crazy that happens, but you have to like focus on 20 years. And um, in the long run, I think great brands win. All right. What drives you? What wakes you up every day and gets you to work every day? I like doing new stuff. So I, I feel that, um, you know, two things drive me the most. One is, of course, uh, product and innovation and, you know, like experiments with my team. And uh, second is um, working with inspirational people in the team, especially women. Um, I do feel that, you know, sugars in a lucky position to have like a 70% um, workforce being women. And it's a huge privilege, but it's also an opportunity to create an organization that's really the best place in the world for women to work at. And uh, so I learn from them every day. And, you know, I just, you know, the idea of, um, you know, working with the team um, is something that I really enjoy doing. So that's, that's what drives me. When you were on that flight uh, yeah. to IIT Madras, you said your definition of success was making money, <laughs> right? What's your definition of success now? It's definitely not making money. <laughs> <laughs> what is it now? Uh, so for me, I think, uh, you know, uh, the freedom is probably success for me right now. Just the ability. Freedom to, to do what? Freedom um, to do what I want when over my time. I think that's in terms of, uh, and of course, uh, ability to give back. I mean, give back, pay forward, all of that. So I think impact uh, matters. Um, and uh, you know, in terms of financially, I'm, you know, I think I'm where I wanted to be. I don't think anymore, you know, uh, wealth will make me happier. Uh, and in fact, whatever happens would probably go back in some way or the other. Uh, but it's just like, you know, just the freedom to build um, and, you know, every day to like just be able to do something that I really love doing. That's what probably success is. Yeah, for me. What makes you get up after you take a hard knock? Oh, <laughs> I still need to cry it out first and it's you know from like uh, uh, and it's just I feel that for women it's just like a you know self-expression so I need to get over it first like those two three hours of uh, crying it out uh, but then many times it's about you know you remind yourself that it's not going to matter in 10 years and uh, this is something that I've learned from Kaushik actually every time I'm like really upset about something uh, you know he'll be like okay is this going to matter in 10 years if it's something that matters in 10 years, then I get myself to wake up next day thinking about how I can make an attempt, another attempt at it. Because, you know, I definitely, the one thing I never ever do is like give up easily. Uh, so uh, if it's going to matter in 10 years, I'll make another attempt. And if it's not going to matter in 10 years, I will just somehow uh, find a way to focus on something else. And um, I feel that, you know, the like whenever I've gone through really, really stressful situations in my life, I've... Uh, resorted to exercise. I don't know. That That's something that just helps me. Like, I remember when the COVID lockdown started, like, you know, one or two days of realizing this is for real. And then the first thing I did was like, decide like, you know, till this entire lockdown is over, I'm going to just, whatever happens, do a workout every single day. And I did that for about 120 days straight because it was just so hard. Uh, but then I need to, you know, sort of channelize my stress into something else. So, Generally, when I'm, you know, happy, I might slack in everything else, like, you know, working out and reading. But in my most stressful phases of life, I will be like super disciplined because that's the way I, where I channel all my energy and stress. Yeah. Right. There is a saying, and I've asked this question to other guests also, that we are the average of the five <laughs> people that we spend the most amount of time with. 
who are the five people that you spend the most amount of time with i'm assuming kaushik is one yeah. who is both your husband and co-founder yeah. and ceo yeah, so let's let's him. rule that out and and, and the, who are the next the four kids <laughs> all right both your kids yeah i ended up spending obviously uh, a lot of time with them and then of course uh, like my senior leadership i think uh, because like end up being at work like about 12 hours um, and there are so many people who've been there from fab back days like you know who've spent like almost like 7 8 9 10 years in the company uh so they are almost like co-founders um and uh, so end up spending a lot of time with them and then of course i have a bunch of old friends from my iit days um and i i feel that like you, they they really uh you know have been part of our journey in fact we just recently did a friends and family round where we got some of them to come in on board because you know they've really like you know from like picking up the tab where you have no money to pay for a drink when you're at a like a campus reunion to sort of being the moral support through all those tough days so luckily we're still in touch with them and you know still good friends um so yeah i have a group there uh, all right from an entrepreneur point of view if you could go back uh to your through your entrepreneurial journey and maybe change one thing is there something that you would change or I, do differently many things like many many things i would do differently but yeah i mean you there's just that's the whole point of all the failures right because you can only learn through them you never learn through success so i've had so many failures uh, i think the biggest i would change is i would build something i'm passionate about early on i think my first business i was bootstrapping and i was only optimizing for cash flow and unfortunately as an entrepreneur if you were forced to optimize for cash flow very early on although it builds great fiscal discipline um it sometimes takes away from that ability to build something which is really meaningful in the long run it just becomes a numbers business it just becomes a numbers business and then you start doing too many things too early and it just becomes like a um you know like a small boutique services business um, and that's how most of us end up so i feel that if i had the conviction to believe in myself and you know stay true to what i was passionate about right at the start uh, which was hard because i was also 23 so i i you know i always feel that that was all part of the larger plan i guess it was it's hard for a 23 year old to have that kind of foresight but i think i you know because i have this thing as a i'm a marathoner right so i have this thing that i will not give up i i don't know when to check out and that those five years were a bit too long for that learning to come through and get imbibed i think i pushed it too much because i was like i will not quit you know i feel that like my the only reason i've succeeded is because of grit and but then sometimes you never know when to you know check out very interesting but uh grit is great but you're also saying find your passion and marry so it's grit into passion which is important and for the first you know especially with that business like you know you had grit but no passion right yeah, and absolutely. you are now saying that what i would do differently and i would start with passion yeah. and then married with grit yes. so that i would have like a longer runway longer runway yeah. i want to take this back to another question that you answered early on which is the cliche about a woman founder starting a cosmetics yeah. business could it be perhaps that like you know you needed to arrive at your own confidence to start because like you know you seem to have started boring businesses up front <laughs> and not a passionate business you yeah. should have started a cosmetics business or something yeah. else like yeah. you you talked about starting like a yeah. 
um i, I think earlier was the, the lingerie, the lingerie yeah, business yeah. right my question i mean it's a it's a bit of hypothetical yeah. question there may be other women founders yeah. or potential founders yeah. or college graduates who are wondering this is where my heart is yeah. i want to start a cosmetics business but i'm in an engineering college yeah. i'm an mba Absolutely. i need to start this and they will also spend that wasted amount of time going through these motions before they yeah. essentially Absolutely. right like so in india there is such a big notion of this whole uh, you know what will like you know people say when you say you're running xyz right. business right and to compound that with like still date i get this thing about you wasted your engineering seat like what did you do about the fact that you were an engineer and you know what are you doing now right so the the pressure to like sort of um, you know like create something that people like externally validate, validate. is so high uh and, uh and it's harder for women of course and and yeah it's harder so so now i of course joke about it uh, my um uh my little one uh, so it gone to uh, you know stay with my parents for a bit uh, my kids had gone and then when they uh, came back um uh, so my I, he said that uh, you know in school today they asked what do you want to be when you grow up uh and um, apparently he said i want to be a scientist like my grandfather not like a dukandar like my mom so <laughs> and i remember so i was like did 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 nanu teach you this thing that i'm a dukandar <laughs> so uh, so but you know so my dad always jokes about it that you're a dukandar uh, and that's the thing and he always says that protein structures and molecules are so exciting not like you know cosmetics and so it's almost as if you went in the op- polar opposite direction of your parents yeah. right <laughs> and now your children are essentially going in the they polar opposite go, direction yeah, 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 they, they, <laughs> so my kids don't think this business is cool at all they think that like research and science is like really cool and uh, i i feel that you know that whole like everybody goes through this journey of saying that log kya kahenge in which where if you've studied from a good college while it's a huge privilege and not taking away from that it also becomes like this chip on your shoulder where you need to justify it and if you don't do something that's like probably either aiml or if you're doing something which is a very very simple business then you're really not justifying the privilege and the you know education that you had and that pressure is very high so you're right actually and i never thought about it that way but probably just having the confidence to say i am running a you know makeup company brand and right. you know that's it there is no uh, tech around it's not beauty tech <laughs> that's <laughs> right i mean the way i essentially look at it is that if you want to be an entrepreneur start something that you love yeah even if you fail you'll still feel good about i gave it my best yeah. i enjoyed it while it lasted yeah. right but if you start something which you don't love there's absolutely nothing that you'll ever look back yeah. with any kind of yeah. feelings or emotions absolutely and and those fads will come and go right there was a time where food tech was everything two years back was edu tech was everything like those are phases which will come and go what will stay is just you and your company and when every investor is checked out and you know nobody is left for you you should be happy about what you're building uh, because it's going to take a long time i think it all boils down to you know what will i enjoy building for three decades and you know that question is always very hard to answer early on uh, but you know if you're true to yourself i think you can sort of eventually end up going there you must have done a lot of fundraising <laughs> attempts yeah, and some successes uh along the way what are your biggest 
learnings or advice for other entrepreneurs when it comes to fundraising yeah uh, all the successes most of the successes happened in the last 3 years because the trend changed honestly i i don't think it had a lot to do with uh ourselves founders because i think as founders we've uh, always talked about so perhaps lot. not giving yourself credit could it also be the fact that you ended up in a business that like you know you liked and therefore that yeah there founder... was i mean the whole like explaining tam uh, to the investors was really hard explaining the idea in back in 2014 15 uh, that uh, like brands could become fundable uh, businesses uh, i mean it's still a very very different from a tech business because you know brands can grow at 100 200% for a few years but eventually they'll grow at 20 30% which is not bad because like you know i was doing the math the other day if you grow 20% for 13 years it's like 10 times right it's it's yeah. that's how compounding works the power of compounding but uh, i mean most investors are in it for like the 5 year 7 year horizon so it didn't make sense for them at that time and which is why i think we had like more than 100 rejections in that entire journey of the last 10 years i'm not even talking about like whatever i tried in my first business etc and uh, i think the the biggest learning has been that you know for all those 100 people who reject you it just takes that one believer and for us uh, like india quotient was that like they came in 10 years ago they're still there and they're still our loudest cheerleaders and like for all those 100 uh, funds that didn't come in uh, it's not going to matter because you just need that one person to believe in you so sometimes it's more of an emotional thing than a strategic thing that you know the the all you know, that entrepreneurs feel that fundraising is hard and i still feel i hate it i hate fundraising and it's one of the hardest things um, i consider in fact koshik does all those conversations because i still struggle with rejections and it takes me a while to get over them uh, but i feel that you know if you look at it as a process objectively then you know it doesn't matter whether it's 99 or 200 you just need that one and everybody needs that one and uh, given the fact that you know if you uh, like over over with all those feedback you will keep improving uh, either your metrics or your pitch and you will get there somehow so i i feel that you know it's important to not get carried away by uh, number of shots you take determines finally how many goals absolutely absolutely so don't give up until you've probably spoken to 200 is what i would say and when you know when you have a number like that you suddenly feel you're not alone i feel that i i always used to feel that am i so bad at fundraising that people are getting money on a paper plan and we have this 8 crore business and nobody wants to fund but then i think it's just about um uh, uh, keep 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 trying and then you'll get it right what do you feel you add most value to sugar as ceo uh first i think is the consumer understanding i am really i speak to thousands of women uh, in markets in you know through our d2c platform we do a lot of uh, consumer interaction calls and i feel that uh, it's very important and it's the ceo's job to know the consumer well uh so i think that's first second is of course uh, you know just energy and optimism i feel that um, that's really important to uh because any business you're in it doesn't matter whether it's cosmetics there are going to be like every you know good part is going to be followed with a hard part and you need that one optimist to like keep everything together is there a founder culture at sugar many startups yeah, have yeah. and and what's your view on it i know there is 
there's obviously the good part there's also the bad part yeah. because of the certain you know it's like founders will know better etc so what's your views yeah. on the yeah. founder culture that yeah. exists in many yeah. startups so there's definitely a founder culture at uh, sugar in fact we've um, you know this koshik's come up with this framework when we call it like the four h's like hunger hustle humor and humility um these are the four h's that it takes to us you know do well uh, and thrive at an organization like this and there are a lot of role models who sort of uh, embody that um there is of course that whole like so you know there is a word in it hustle right now hustle is a word which is now um there are two sides a bit to, more loaded than what it was a bit more loaded yeah. than it was uh, but it is like koshik and i have you know we fundamentally believe that you have to work harder than you know your competition to get there faster and it's just there's no other way there are no shortcuts at least we've not experienced any shortcuts so hustle and hunger is going to be a part of it and then there's of course the humility to not take yourself um too seriously and to be grateful for whatever you come along and celebrate the smaller milestones now yes is it a good thing bad thing you know it's subjective but i feel that you know in the first 5 7 years at least of any startup's journey it's important for uh it to be clear what the founder culture is and then employees have a choice they want in or out i think the problem happens if there is a miscommunication where you expect a rosy picture and you know it turns out to be something else but as long as an organization and which is why in our you know interview conversations etc we let people like you know speak to people in teams etc to get what the culture is like because it definitely is not going to be a chill job i mean it's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of learning but it's not going to be a chill job so i feel that as long as there's transparency and people have a choice whether they relate with that founder culture or not um i think that's a good way in the first 5 to 7 years once the organization reaches a certain stage i think if there are certain parts of the culture uh, which are not too scalable and which won't uh, uh, scale well for like 20000 employees then that's when you have to get senior leadership Uh, to come in and uh, sort of uh, uh, put in a more balanced culture uh, so to say but i i i think i don't think organizations can have a uh, can ever accomplish what like startups can accomplish what a lot of startups do without that founder culture in the first 5 7 years so otherwise it becomes a lot of mercenaries coming together and just doing something for 2 years and leaving i feel that what also holds the core team together for decades is their love with that founder culture right two of the words that you used in those four h's yeah. hustle and hunger yeah now those are also i would argue lo- both of them are loaded yeah. words especially yeah. with younger employees yeah. Yeah. uh and and this is where i would yeah. love to because yeah. you know you're a brand which is focused on younger, younger. women and yeah. you work with a lot yeah. of 70% of your this thing are women and young employees the motivation to work yeah. harder or yeah. to hustle versus lying flat yeah. not doing enough yeah. or this is it no yeah. more etc and so how do you do you see that playing out yeah. in the workplace and what's your advice to younger employees entering the work stream or you know 1 2 3 4 5 years yeah. of experience yeah i think first 4 5 years uh, are definitely years when most people need to f- most people figure out what is it that they want to a uh, build for the next 2 3 decades because it's hard at college right you don't have without trying out stuff you you know can't and i feel that uh, it's so like yes gen z um employees are very different from millennials uh, and millennials were very different from you know our parents gen generation x. gen x 
एंड जैन जी आर मोर सॉर्टेड इन टर्म्स ऑफ यू नो जस्ट वॉन्टिंग मोर बैलेंस एंड आई डोंट नो आई मीन इन द लॉन्ग रन लाइक वॉट इज राइट अ रॉन्ग बट आई डू फील दैट द फर्स्ट फाइव ईयर्स इट्स यू नो इफ यू डोंट फिगर आउट इफ यू डोंट वर्क हार्ड एंड फिगर आउट वेर इज इट दैट योर पैशन एंड वॉट इज इट दैट यू नो एट द एंड ऑफ द डे इट्स लाइक वॉट्स द पेन दैट यू एन्जॉय ओवर एंड ओवर राइट सो एनीथिंग दैट यू एनी टाइम दैट यू वॉन्ट अ पुश योर लिमिट्स देर इज अ पेन दैट कम्स एंड ऑल ऑफ आस हैव दिस पेन विच वी लाइक फॉर मी फॉर इंस्टेंस वर्किंग आउट इज अ पेन दैट आई लव एंड यू नो इट्स अ पार्ट ऑफ माई जर्नी ऑफ रियलाइजिंग माई पोटेंशियल uh there is there could be somebody who has a certain hobby which is a pain that they love right so figuring out what is that pain that i would love over the decades is a very um, important career unlock and i feel that if you you know don't work hard in those first 4 5 years where you discover that thing that you would love to that that pain that you would love to uh, enjoy uh, then i feel that uh, you may not end up you know being happy in the long run and at the end of the day real happiness i feel balance etc certain constructs that people talk about real happiness comes from flow right the flow that adam grant talks about where you know you you actually like you know talk to people and they say that oh what do you want to do on weekends i want to do netflix and chill for instance right but if you actually uh, measure their happiness level when they are watching netflix versus when they are doing something that they are really excited about even if it's work like sitting in a meeting on a product development and just iterating and ideating uh they would be much happier doing that because it's they've discovered their state of flow so i would definitely and i encourage i speak to a lot of gen z uh, colleagues of mine and i always always encourage them to figure out their flow and you know where their you know what is that that pain that they would find fun and not uh strive for the balance before that happens because those uh, iterative journeys are always much harder um and of course that's my advice and i am a millennial in fact i am a borderline millennial uh, so uh, i i maybe there's something that i will learn over the next decade about you know how uh, what clicks for um gen z uh, but i i i'm i don't give advice based on whether somebody's a gen z or a millennial uh, i you know this something that i feel uh, is what i would teach my kids as well um and i'm also learning that there are different approaches to um how people feel about their careers so it's i've also come a long way from understanding that like for instance the whole remote culture is something that you know came around over the last two years and it worked uh, on on that point yeah. i have a question for you yeah office or work from home i love office <laughs> i love office having said that till two years ago i did not think remote can work at all but during covid we thrived um and i feel that uh, there was a bit of i mean it wasn't like uh, a lot of like the uh, inspiration for younger folks sort of couldn't happen and which is why i'm happy that office is back because i feel that a lot of inspiration and learning happens through watching people and a lot of junior folks got deprived of just you know being there in those rooms and seeing all the action and absorbing you know that whole absorption of culture absorption of energy absorption of inspiration for them really stopped so i feel bad about you know the fact that they couldn't get a lot of this inspiration um i also feel that for young organizations like ours uh, a lot of uh, new stuff comes 
at the cusp of different teams. So, you know, when customer delight comes and says the consumer said this and then the product team and the marketing team come together. Sparks and, fly at the intersections. Absolutely. And at that cusp is where innovation happens. And so innovation sometimes flatlines in a completely remote kind of an organization. And at the rate that we are aspiring to grow 100% year on year, we definitely uh, need that sort of a space for everything to come together. Having said that, if there's an organization that's growing 10%, 6% year on year, which a lot of them are, then yeah. absolutely remote makes more sense. So I think fundamentally, I think uh, the world is going towards a hybrid. Uh, for younger organizations, I feel that growth will still continue to come from a lot of... Um, All right. In a typical week, what are the three, four things that account for roughly 80% of your work bucket? Uh, I have luckily managed to get help on emails. So I don't spend a lot of time on emails and I'm really happy about that. So it's mostly uh, two things. One is, of course, in the market, consumers, other customers like marketplaces and, uh, you know, retailers, etc. And uh, second is team. So, you know, just go ideating with the team, being in on like product discussions, being in on, uh, you know, just talking to the leadership about where the challenges um, reviewing of course a lot of reviews um, but yeah most of the time goes there typically what percentage of your calendar when a week begins is already filled in versus <laughs> fills in I, I try to ensure that generally the first two three hours are not filled in because I need to also um, sort you know catch up on trends uh, just think Think about next year. Is think that about when next you're most years. creative and energetic? Absolutely, absolutely. So the first two, three hours, I, I try to ensure that all my scheduling starts from like the 12 to 7 window is where I'm relatively slower. So, I, you know, that's when the meetings and all of those conversations happen because those energize me. So I don't need to like be, give focused, um, high energy attention there. What are two or three of your most critical meetings each week? Most critical meetings would definitely be uh, sales reviews. Of course, numbers are important. That's one. Uh, second is uh, product pipeline. Uh, for us, product is, of course, the hardware, as you can call it. Yeah. Um, so that's that second. Um, third would be, of course, hiring. Just going over the hiring pipeline. So, you know, like a lot of uh, interviews. Are you a believer in the fact that always be hiring? <laughs> we end up always hiring because if you're growing, you will have to uh, keep hiring. Um, but yes, of course, um, uh, I feel that uh, sometimes what happens is, I mean, it happens a lot of times. You meet somebody, uh, there's no position, but you just meet them because you're inspired by what they've done. And then you go out of your way to build something or create something for them. And a lot of times some interesting people have uh, joined thanks to these chance encounters. So, which is why I definitely always keep meeting. Uh, hiring is a culmination of a lot of things, of course. How do you know when to lean in to a decision that you've made, which may have been an impulsive decision, versus when to kind of back off from it? Do you have any kind of a deliberate method or process? So I am a very fast decision maker generally because I feel that um, it's important for us, you know, smaller organizations. Speed is a huge uh, competitive advantage. Uh, and which means that, you know, we do get things wrong. 
and which means that then I back off. So I, you know, I do both. One is, of course, realize that I made a wrong decision and then sort of uh, change that and, you know, not stick to uh, something which is a wrong decision. So, you know, tried something, didn't work out, uh, change course. Second is going into a conversation, you know, knowing that this is, believing that this is not going to work, but still, like, because the team feels strongly about it, like letting them run disagree with it. and commit disagree and commit and you know even like give a go ahead and like i will tell them that these are my uh you know these are the qualms these are the reasons i won't think and like i would be really happy to be proven wrong and it's happened i mean they do come back and uh sometimes prove that i'm wrong i feel that like we're in a category where there is no product market fit because the consumer is evolving so fast so you have to keep evolving so there are no fixed uh right wrong answers right a lot of things like you know, beliefs people had like seven years ago are not true now. And that's going to change in the next seven years. We don't know how the world's going to change. So it's important to experiment a lot. So which is why it's also important to not enforce my beliefs on the team and let them. Uh, and, and there are people who feel very strongly about certain things and then they run with it. And they, I have been proven wrong many times as well. What have you used when it comes to coaching or mentoring yeah. employees over time? Do you have any? I, I So... What I fundamentally believe is that's the most important job of a leader or a manager is the coaching and the mentoring. Because at the end of the day, it's, you know, when somebody succeeds, um, it's on you and somebody fails, it's on you as a leader or manager. And I, I am very passionate about doing that. But I realize that uh, a lot of times, you know, in startups, what happens is that young people do super well. And then they grow with the organization and then they end up having large teams. But they've never really uh, had the opportunity to grow this side because at the end of the day, coaching, mentoring requires this love and patience, uh, which is, you know, very unconditional, right? And that's hard when you are like a 27-year-old manager running a team of like uh, 20 people who, you know, who... so. Now I feel uh, more and more about it. We just got a chief people officer and, you know, the thing, the biggest project that I want to drive with him is about formal coaching, mentorship, because I do feel that in my own journey. So a year ago, um, one of our investors called me up and said that, do you want a mentor? There's a mentorship program uh, for women. It's called WinP Mentorship Program. And, uh, you know, they might help you find one. I had never formally had a mentor. And I just, you know, instinctively trusted him and said, let's do it. And then they managed to, they asked me, who do you want, etc. What kind of person, etc. And then they went over, over a process and they came back saying that um, Vivek Gambhir, who's the CEO of Boat now and who is a Godrej consumer CEO, uh, is okay to become your mentor. And I was like, yes. And over the last 12 months, I've had like just four or five conversations with him, but long three-hour discussions. And my it's ex opened up my own thinking to so many possibilities and I realized from my own experience that oh my god if I don't give this opportunity to my team uh, then I'm really constraining them because right now they're just constrained to whatever I know and a lot of times uh, they can not be as transparent with me as they can be with an external um, mentor so because of both of these things one because I realized that uh, senior leaders may not have the bandwidth or the ability to coach and second because of my own uh, understanding of even if somebody has the ability, they may not be able to, you know, give an external perspective. Uh, I think that we want to introduce this formally now in the organization. Haven't really gotten around to doing it, but it's something that we're going to do. 
what phrases are you known for inside sugar pet phrases um what gets measured gets done uh i think uh, yeah i mean the whole like uh, does it help the brand in 10 years oh that's a question yeah, that i ask that's about. probably the fourth or fifth time you're saying that in today's conversation yes, itself so, right. yeah because a lot of times there's you know you're always struggling with short term long term decisions and it's at the end of the day your job is just about you know over and over over and over again um getting the team to focus on the bigger picture the long term and what's right by the consumer what might be the three most common adjectives your colleagues use to describe you i i uh definitely think um over optimistic um second would be persistent uh third would be i think energy what part of your job do you wish you didn't have to do i think one part we got already which was fundraising definitely number one and second is agreements and lawyer conversations uh, and are very luckily for me my co-founder just like loves all of that i have not <laughs> i mean i i remember like on some you know realizing once that there was a two hour long conversation around uh, mal- malified versus intended malified and i realized that i am a very hyper impatient person so for me like you know going over like documents which are like 20 pages and all of that is very hard what is the one thing that actually before i ask you about direct reports how many direct reports do you have i have about 7 uh, all right what is the one thing that all of them will agree about you when it comes to your i i definitely am very hands off as a manager i really uh, you know when they have you know they, when they need something i you know they can come to me uh, for help and most times i you know will probably tell them you can figure it out uh, because many times you know they just need that uh, Uh, I feel that like the best work comes when you inspire them and you get them excited about what they're building and uh, let them figure out. And most of them are really smart people who end up figuring stuff out. So I, I definitely think they would all agree on me being hands off. All right. Some of them might say too much. <laughs> <laughs> Early on in the conversation, you said that when you meet really smart people, even mm-hmm. though there's no job, you'll try to create that, right? Yeah. So I want to ask you. how do you spot talented people what so very luckily for us um it's a very fun business that we're building and um, it's a business that uh, you know especially for women is a category which like a lot of women are passionate about it's not that they'll have to be users just the idea that you know they like the fact that you get to a uh, work on products that really make other women happy i mean that itself is uh, an exciting proposition so koshik and i uh, personally as well as the organization gets a lot of people uh, reaching us out so honestly till date probably for like except for two three specific kind of positions we never even used headhunters because we would just have this a lot of uh, incoming um, you know set of uh, uh, um potential employees who were just excited about building with us and um, koshik's also very active on linkedin so he would also get on linkedin i i i suck at the dms on any social media platform 
but um, he would sort of uh, um, you know many times get some of them and pass it on to me if it's relevant for my uh, you know anything that I do or any of the other CXOs. So for us, ninety percent of it is actually through um, just you know continuously speaking to these people who write to us, and it has happened in so many cases, Rohan, that. There's somebody who reached out to us in like 2013 and we started talking and then there was no role. And then 2015, they either checked again or like we remembered something. And and there have been cases, you know, sometimes like somebody comes on board and then we go over that history. It's like they first, like there's somebody who first wrote to us in 2013 for Fab Bag and then finally ended up, you know, recruiting them in 2017. But it's just that if you're doing, and, and we do share a lot about what we're building on um, the internet as well. Uh, so it, it, there are a lot of, uh, there's a huge ecosystem of folks who are not even consumers, but they're general cheerleaders. And we're very lucky to be in a place where uh, we're able to sometimes, you know, um, engage, keep them engaged over a period of time and then hire them at the right time. So, Can I just make an observation? Because this goes back to the point that you made earlier about if you could do something differently, you yeah. would start a passion a business where you which you're passionate about early on yeah. and it does look like a lot of these people who are applying to you are applying to you because they're passionate about the business absolutely so essentially your advice to other entrepreneurs to start something which you believe in yeah. and are passionate about compounds over time yeah. because it's not just their passion yeah you're also essentially becoming a magnet for all the other people who want to join your business because they are as passionate as well and it compounds over time. Absolutely. And, you know, in sugar, like what we've seen is that success is most closely associated with how much belief the person has. And it's, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're joining at a CXO level or you're joining at an executive level. Uh, the ones who have flourished or enjoyed working here the most and have like stayed here over many many years are the believers you know the ones who believe in the idea of the fact that uh, you know there's a brand made by Indians for Indian women uh, or excited about brand building product or just believe in the you know like uh, it trust us as founders uh, Kaushik and I and um, what happened in the last two three years is that suddenly there was this hype around startups and a lot of like people who are doing well in their careers started thinking of this as a alternative career option. And I feel that, you know, often that attracts the wrong kind of people because if you're not a believer, you know, when the party is over, you know, when the lights are out and there is like, you know, probably no increments possible and you're going through a You're going to be phase, the first ones to check out. You're going to be the first ones to check out. So, the I mean, it's of course unfortunate for the entrepreneur, but forget us, for that employee, they will never be able to uh, unlock that value that they thought they would create because for that value, compounding has to play out. And for compounding, tenure matters. So you end up coming in and then you leave when, you know, it's it gets tougher. You never create the wealth that you thought you could create in a startup, right? So I feel that it's, uh, it's like, you know, double whammy. One is that like, like believers... Um, will not end up doing well. Uh, non-believers will not end up doing well for themselves. And then non-believers don't end up doing well for us. 
So which is why we are very excited about the fact that we want to continue attracting those who are excited about the space, excited about so building. One of your filters for hiring is belief and passion. Very high filter. It's a it's, it's a very important filter because and you know you get tempted so many times and you make mistakes and I've made so many mistakes there in great resume. Checks absolutely, all the boxes. absolutely, and 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 then you you know realize that it just it never works out at least in my experience. What has parenting taught you about yourself? <laughs> um, a lot. Um, I think parenting has taught me uh, unconditional love, of course. Uh, a lot of patience. Um, it has taught me uh, to... I, th- I think what I don't do as well as a parent, which I do at work, is um, letting my kids fail enough. So I, you know, that's something that work has taught me and I want to apply to parenting. But yeah, parenting has taught me uh, unconditional love, patience. um, And that's something that I apply both to people who work in the organization and my consumers. You know, my consumers can be super irrational at times, but you have to keep going back to them with that unconditional love and patience and just listen. And I think just, you know, I, 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 you know, my kids teach me that. Right. How do you rate your performance as a CEO? And as a parent, on a scale of <laughs> 1 to 10? Uh, as a CEO, um, I would probably be a 7.5. I have lots to learn. Uh, as a So, as a mother, I'm probably a 4 or 5. As a parent, I'm probably a 7 or 8. Uh, so, I make that distinction very consciously because the bar from my mom onwards is very high for moms. I feel that, you know, where, where that bar is concerned, I'm an utter failure. So I would say four or five. But yeah, as a parent, I'm a seven or eight. If you were locked in a room for 24 hours with no internet, what would you do? Books, if there are. Um, I would definitely... What um, kind of books? Generally, non-fiction. I'm a big sucker for biographies, like of everybody from business folks to sports people to, you know, even actors. Uh, so I uh, those kind of books and uh, I would go for a run uh, if uh, I'm locked in a room I can't go for a run all I right. would. <laughs> come to a different version of that question when you're out six out of ten times is there a dish that you end up reordering yes I mean it's um, depends on whether I'm in the mood for comfort food or not but it's it's going to be either ali olio spaghetti ali olio or it's going to be chole chawal <laughs> It's <laughs> just two extremes. Doing what makes you lose sense of all time or flow, as you rightly said? A lot of things. Um, a lot of time, some interesting discussions at work, ideation, uh, working on new products, uh, but also off work, um, running, cycling. Um, You're a triathlete. Yes. So uh, I hate swimming. I mean, I do it because it's a the first Part leg of a triathlon, <laughs> but uh, definitely running, cycling, and a lot of other kinds of workouts as well. Um, I just feel I I treasure that phone free, distraction free time. Uh, and unless I'm like dying uh, out of like breath, so you're not following not. a routine on your phone then when you're working out. Generally, no. Like I go for a run without my phone. I carry an Apple Watch so that it helps me track the distance. Um, definitely no phone while cycling. Um, generally prefer like even HIIT or any other kind of training without any devices. 
uh, except during the lockdown when I would put on YouTube and like do stuff in front of the uh, screen. Which morning of the week do you look forward to the most? Mornings are always Monday. I, Why? It's just you know I, I'm there's always like over the weekend you know things like something or the other keeps coming in your head that this is what I want to do this is what I want to tell them like at any point I'll have like some twenty things which are like these projects and I want to find somebody and be like okay can you drive this are you excited about this and so on Monday it's like this opportunity to get that all out but sometimes of course Mondays get derailed because there's some fire fighting which I don't like but you know that's again part of or you spend your weekends. uh mostly not working generally um if unless it's a special situation uh, so then i would be with kids um catching up on my workout backlog <laughs> um and then meeting up with friends all right vinita thank you so much for all those answers they're really lovely and that's all i had for you thank you this was a really fun conversation lots of tough ones and i love it. oh come on <laughs> Hi, it's Neha again. That was the episode. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Do you have thoughts, suggestions? We love reading every single email you send us. So write to us at podcasts at the rate of the hyphen gen dot com. A new first principles episode drops every two weeks, and a new cost to company episode every week. Those will be linked in our show notes. Also, check them out. So much. That's all from me. Happy listening.